Hey, everybody. Welcome to, uh, I think it's episode eight. I'm not even sure of the New Wave Entrepreneur. My name is Jen. And this week, Diana could not be on the show because of life. Um, things that get crazy. And this is this is the real world. This is real life. And, you know, she's got a million things going on. And um, we just couldn't make it happen this week. Uh, but that is as real as it gets right there. And anybody out there who is a business owner or, you know, trying to, to do a million different things at once probably gets that more than, more than most people. So I probably don't even need to explain. Um, but we have a guest today. So it won't just be me yapping alone. Um, today joining me is Stacy Seidel. And she is an entrepreneur and Basically, she does too many things for me to call her one specific thing. So we're going to talk about all that. But Stacy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello, everybody. I'm so glad that you were able to come on because you are like the epitome of um, kind of what Diana and I talk about on this podcast all the time and, and very relatable to me, especially. Um, and we'll get more into that, but um, just to give a little background on how me and Stacy know each other, uh, we lived next door to each other at first, uh, back in Queens, and so we were neighbors, and then Stacy, we're actually also both from Massachusetts, but she's a North Shore girl, and I'm a South Shore girl, <laughs> and um, so... She moved back to Massachusetts for a little while, and then she moved back to Queens in my same building. Um, and so we've just been friends ever since. And now you are in Maryland, right? Yep, down. And, yep, down near Baltimore, and I am in Brooklyn. Um, but as you can see, we um, we are still friends, and we are still connected here. So um, I just want to for life. <laughs> so why don't we start by you just giving a rundown of everything that you're about, like just a quick little, you know, summary, and then we'll kind of dig into each one as we go. Okay. So first of all, my main job is that I'm a bookkeeper. Um, I started out for many years working in corporate accounting, but actually began the career as a temp. Um, so sort of just had one job here, one job there that eventually over time gave me a full service bookkeeping experience. Mm. Um, and I hated working in corporate anything. Um, I mm -hmm. am too much of like a bohemian free spirit. I don't like to be told what to do. And when I do a good job, I don't like to just be like, devalued like you know yeah. that's what expected and it's not going to get you a little praise for it so for me um becoming an entrepreneur was always my dream but you know I grew up with a single mom like almost immediately when I was able to work I had a job like mm -hmm. making money was a big focus not that it's not anymore but right <laughs> I made that's one you can never really escape. <laughs> right. Like what else <laughs> I'm doing for? Yeah. 
when you, I feel like sometimes I made a lot of my decisions from a mindset of lack that mm-hmm. I needed to pay this bill, that bill, the other bill. And I, I just didn't give myself, um, like I wouldn't allow myself to follow my dreams because they weren't going to make me any money. And I had to right. pay kind of a thing. Um, and then crazy as it sounds, I, I got laid off from a corporate job and it was like the best thing that ever happened mm. to me. Simultaneously, I also had my first injury with my neck and it gave me a lot of downtime to sit and think about what I really wanted from mm-hmm. my life. And to sort of start like making this plan in my head of what I wanted that to look like. Um, I had been an like indie actress for many years. Um, and so being a creative and doing accounting for work, all I could think about was I got to get away from this. I don't care yeah. how much life I've invested in it. This isn't what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Meaning the accounting was not what you wanted. Okay. Right. So like taking that time while I was down with my injury and collecting unemployment for a little while, I realized that I could create this business for myself where I wasn't chained to a desk nine to five every day. Yes, I was still doing accounting, Mm -hmm. but in a way where it supported small businesses. So that gives you a much more personal experience with, you know, how a business runs and right. it gives you experience in, in things that are outside of bookkeeping. Whereas when you're in a, a corporate space, it's like, you're, you're just in that one lane, you know, that's, yeah. all you that's all you do. You put your head down and you crunch those numbers. And so I think for me, um, seeing how other people were running their businesses and hearing their stories, I was like, well, Hey, maybe I can mm. find do these things and so that also coincided with me deciding once I recovered from my injury I was like well I'm gonna take this opportunity that I had to move to New York because I wanted to get outside of the box that Massachusetts was sort of trying to put me into Mm -hmm. and you know it's not it's not so easy to have clients all over the place in Massachusetts as it is in the city, right? Right. I was driving 45 minutes to one way to get to my corporate job. Mm -hmm. And that, that would have been the case, you know, I would have, it never would have worked. So while that's not the reason I went to New York, because I was going as an actor, which was my side hustle. Right. Um, it, it almost like flipped when I didn't expect it to. I became so successful with the bookkeeping that that sort of took over my focus. And I realized that maybe acting wasn't my passion anymore. And I sort of flipped back over to writing, which was something that I just did in my spare time. And mm-hmm. um. So how do you think you got so successful with the bookkeeping? It's crazy. Again, going back to like me feeling like such a creative person, but Mm -hmm. my brain works really well when it comes to bookkeeping and accounting. Like I I know it like the back of my hand, you know, it's such a repetitious process when you're doing it for a a big corporate company. Yeah. Uh, 
it's the same thing over and over. So, you know, it becomes like ingrained. I talk about accounting the way, you know, some people talk about, I don't know, literature or I don't know, whatever it is that they're into, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I just have a deep understanding of it because I've done it for so long now. And it's so repetitious, no matter what industry you go into, it's generally the same principles. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, at this point, when I moved to New York, I've already been doing it for over 10 years. Right. I'm good at it. <laughs> and how I, do you get new clients? Do you like, how do you market yourself? Um, for me, I sort of use the same techniques that I used when I would look for a corporate job. Uh, I don't know how much this ages me, but I would <laughs> go things like monster, right? Uh-huh. No, monster a- still exists. <laughs> I I ended up finding my first few clients on Craigslist Mm -hmm. Um, in the job sections. You know, I could just search for part. They were looking for part-time bookkeepers. Mm -hmm. I would work one client one day for five to eight hours, whatever it was, another client, another day. And so that gave me a variety of industries to work in different places, the city to travel to so that I could get acclimated, um, so many different kinds of people Mm -hmm. it really um it just took off and then what it it wasn't difficult for me to like I still had my Boston client that I was doing remotely so I just needed like two other part-time clients to get me to make enough to survive you know yeah anytime one would fall off it was just a matter of finding another one to fill them in and Mm -hmm. it you know, up until COVID, I never had a problem finding clients. Like work was so plentiful in New York. Um, and what happened with COVID? Like, how did that change things for you? Well, mostly it changed just that I'm I'm working from home now. Yeah. One of my clients was considered a an essential business. Um, mm-hmm. I don't obviously he's not going to hear this, but I'm just, I'm not going to say, don't say, obviously we might be really huge someday and worldwide. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Visualizing it girl. Yeah. Um, but listen, you don't have some, to say anything no, no, identifying no, I, him or anything. Some clients are very old school. Like mm-hmm. if they don't see your face, they worry that maybe you're billing them for time you know oh, okay or maybe they feel like one one issue i've come across many times in in working for men no offense i know it's not all men but they i'm an accountant right like i'm going to i'm a form of an accountant i have over 20 years experience doing what i do but I've had clients send me for coffee, send me for lunch, Uh -uh. you know, girl, just, and it's like, so awkward because you're working close face to face. Like this guy in particular really needed somebody who was more of like an assistant. I was an assistant when I was an 18 year old temp, you know, like, right. I've worked a long time to get where I was. And so, and how do you even respond to that? Like, 
oh, Stacy, you want to go grab me a coffee? Like, uh, what? <laughs> first time he asked me. Now, this wasn't my first experience, right? Like, I had a nightmare of a client that worked on Seventh Avenue, and girl, I've never <laughs> met like this in my life. Like, and at first, I was like, well, it's me. It's because I'm not setting my boundaries. I'm not. Mm. I'm just don't like the awkward confrontations that's a very female trait I think well at least for me that it's me oh it must be me it must be something I did wrong to invite this type of treatment right but continue respectable or something or Mm -hmm. whatever the nonsense we tell each other or our um but so what I noticed was over time, because I worked, I stayed with him for like three years. Um, over time, I realized he was always, he had a high turnover rate in his staff. Mm-hmm. He was always bringing in new, like college grads, young girls who, mm-hmm. who didn't, who weren't going to fight back, right? Here I am 20 years in my industry and I'm having a hard time standing up for myself. Right. Girls, you know, so over time, that's where I learned my skill of saying no. And so when this client that I was previously talking about pushed back and said he wanted me to come into the office under COVID, when, when we were in the city, March, April, May, he wanted mm. me to go on the subway to do his bookkeeping. Which was literally like illegal of him to ask of you he to New York state law at that time because he was not an essential or was, was this the essential guy he was okay. the essential. well fine but if you could do it from home you can do it from home I mean this is what I'm saying like I understand the finances of a business are the most important thing but you weren't getting less access to the status of your finances by me giving it to you from home what it was was that his his staff had been reduced by so much that he wanted me, the independent contractor, to come in and fill that space doing these little, like assistance tasks. Yeah. I'm, I'm not doing that. Oh, hell no. It also, you know, my other two clients, like one just went completely remote once COVID hit. Like he had been weighing the options for mm-hmm. a long time. And he was like, this client came to Queens, drove from Long Island to Queens to pick me up, to drive into the city so I could pick up all the computer equipment that I used in his office and gave it to me. Wow. So you see the difference of how you're valued. Mm -hmm. Um, So what did COVID change for me? That's what it changed for me. It showed me who valued me as a, a success partner in their mm. business because I'm not an employee. I'm, I'm a service that they hire. Right. And people in those types of positions were tossed to the side, you know, were just treated as if look at all these essential workers who went from being heroes to like, Oh, you don't deserve your, your hero pay anymore. You know, like yeah. it's not supermarket workers. It's not just people that we think, you know, in our society, oh, they make minimum wage. They don't deserve all that money. Like it was also, you know, bartenders, waitresses, mm. people who aren't really protected under the state of 
New York's laws, which I found as somebody who lives in a different state every year, (laughs) (laughs) New York really does protect workers. Um, So yeah, you know, at the end of the day, I keep telling myself that COVID had so many silver linings for me. When I first left New York and I came here, it wasn't that I wasn't grateful. I, I was so happy to come and stay with friends of mine, you know, that are like family to me. <laughs> Boo-boo and I had spent, the dog, Boo-boo's my dog. Um, the dog. We had spent March, April, May to, the, to June, four months in quarantine in Queens. I wasn't even walking him around the block. It was mm. like, I am legend in our neighborhood. This <laughs> <laughs> time, but like. Except at least Boo-boo didn't suffer the same fate. Yes, thank God. (laughs) I don't know. I started talking to the dog in the morning. Like it was getting to the point where I was like, this is really unhealthy, you know. (laughs) Just waiting for the day he speaks back. Right. Yeah. Like keep company, rub my head a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was what the quarantine did to so many people. But I mean, I think that it's so helpful for you as an independent contractor I mean that's just one of your many things but um it's so helpful to hear for people who might be considering doing something like that because I think especially since the pandemic began which was almost exactly a year ago at this point um a little over a year ago I think for me today is the first day I was in quarantine the 14th right yep Yes. My first day of quarantine. How nuts. Oh my God. Um, But I think that it's shown so many people, like there are so many um, virtual assistants now that I'm seeing pop up and like, that's becoming like an actual industry. And like, I've seen um, when I was doing some like part-time job hunting, people are looking for virtual assistants, but people that have a virtual assistant, like company, like their Mm -hmm. own thing, you know, not just somebody that's like, Hey, I'm a person and I'm virtual and I will assist you, you know, like it's something that people are actually turning into a career. And I feel like there's so many virtual things now that like people can do as an independent contractor. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also want you to talk about because, well, today, the day that this podcast is coming out, which is the 15th, is the business tax deadline. It is, right? March 15th? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, as an accountant, I mean, you're not a a tax accountant or anything, but. Right. So let's just take a pause for a second and, and clarify that. Because a CPA is who does your taxes and a CPA will always be more knowledgeable about the specific tax code, where you're at and how it applies to you. A bookkeeper is sort of the person in between the business owner and the accountant. So I take all of the financial information of the business and I record it into a file and then I print reports for your CPA. Mm-hmm. So bookkeeping super important. Like I know a lot of small business owners are out there doing it themselves, 
But if you're kind of like doing it on the fly and you don't really know what you're doing, you can shoot yourself in the foot by not. Oh, absolutely. Or even realizing like maybe I have to pay sales tax or I don't, or do I have to pay sales tax on every order? Or are they just within my own state? Or mm-hmm. it varies by state, by industry. So yes. So I just wanted to clarify that because I know a lot of times people feel like a bookkeeper files taxes and and they don't and they're not always going to be as knowledgeable about what a CPA would know right and I'm definitely one of those people that needs that clarification because when it comes to bookkeep bookkeeping and taxes and all that stuff like I am the worst with it but so you've obviously been doing this as an independent contractor for a while but um talk about your your company um I know that you just redid your whole um Instagram and everything like that but I don't know if you also changed your name or like when you established it but why don't you talk about like your um this particular business that you do and kind of what you help small businesses with like why you I mean you already kind of went into why you wanted to work with small businesses over big corporations but like just what it is that you do that you know kind of somebody like me or somebody who's just starting their own small business like how helpful it is to have somebody like you helping them with this stuff so what I've done recently with my business I did rebrand this year um I just finished a communications degree in 2020 and yeah uh, COVID ruined that too but that's another story Uh. Um, yeah so also going back to being a creative and and not wanting to throw away my years of accounting experience Mm -hmm. how could I marry those things together so Mm -hmm. for me with communication my communications degree I made sure to choose classes that would teach me about social media marketing, social media management, because I know from my own clients and just being on social media myself, that it's really important, especially for small businesses to have that online presence Mm -hmm. and important to be able to show them why. And I needed to learn that like you can't just be a social media user and pick up the you know tricks of the trade like you really need to understand why it's important and how to communicate from a certain standpoint like are you selling something are you trying to get them to sign up for something words Mm -hmm. so I rebranded this year and I went from my company name was smart bookkeeping services. I changed it to smart, excuse me. (laughs) My, my new business name is smart virtual solutions. So (laughs) it's a tongue twister when it's supposed to be like, you know, you remember it because of the alliteration, but anyway, um, (laughs) What I decided to do was to add in social media management and marketing services, and that be like one part of the business, still offering bookkeeping to my existing clients and new clients, and then also offering creative writing services, which is Mm -hmm. like creative 
content for your website or, you know, writing articles for your blogs. Um, and so the way it sort of all comes together is I don't call myself a virtual assistant. I call myself a virtual business manager mm. because I really am more like the right hand man to my clients, you know, yeah. like the ones that I have existing they are more bookkeeping focused, but I have also written for their blogs. I also do help them with their social media. And so it's shown me how much, especially like medium-sized small businesses say that, that take in more than a million dollars a year. Those business owners are like chickens with their heads cut off. Not that we all aren't as entrepreneurs, <laughs> right. but like, they're like trying to manage their staff, manage their clients, market, uh, pay their bills. You know what I mean? It's like mm -hmm. it's, it's bigger scale than what I myself experience as an entrepreneur, but it gives me insight into how can I give them the solutions they need to make their lives easier. Right. So I like to be very clear again about what services I offer because it can get to be a great area when you yeah. work so closely there are definitely times that I do things for my clients my existing clients that I would not do <laughs> for somebody that I don't have that relationship with right um, the personal choice that I make that I want to do that for them I don't like a case-by-case -case basis right yeah um, one of my clients sent me to become a notary in New York and paid for that and you know, like, nice. yeah. So it's like, it helped them. It was purely a selfish motivational thing that they did, but it, right. it added something to my repertoire. Definitely. Um, I think it's super important. And I guess I say this coming from a place where I've, I'm already established. I also see a lot of the virtual assistant um, people on social media, like a lot of the people who follow my new business page are in that industry. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people like niche down, like they will be a virtual assistant for like restaurants or. Yeah. So my niche, I guess, is creative entrepreneurs. I try to work with people who are also creative in some way, mm. um, but I don't discriminate. <laughs> I, I know that the market is saturated and people are just so desperate to sign any client because they want to validate that their business is legit, that they'll take on clients maybe that don't fit their brand, don't fit what they really want. Yeah. And I would encourage people that if you, if you can't say no, that if you're in it and you feel miserable in it, that no money is worth that because it mm -hmm. like your spirit, it kills that go getting like, I want to keep trying harder. It just beats you down and makes you feel like work is miserable. Yeah. And I, like, you don't makes you kind of not even want to do it anymore. Right. Right. Like no. And I, and again, I'm, I don't mean to say that to anybody who's struggling right now, because I came to New York with a laptop that had like a crack in it and an air mattress. And my <laughs> so I know the struggle, like, and I know when I was in my early twenties, starting to be an entrepreneur, I definitely 
didn't have the life experience <laughs> to know mm-hmm. that I get better and and like to value myself and not just and to understand mm-hmm. that you can say no and it doesn't mean the end of your career or that you're gonna you know like miss some amazing opportunity I think at the end of the day um your mental health and state of mind is so much more important than money um and I know you know you just told us about a a little bit of a horror story but I know you've got more and (laughs) I think we all have stories that we could tell about situations that we wouldn't have been in if we had just said no but we kind of felt like okay like to move my career forward I feel like I have to say yes to this like like you you're in a place where you're just starting out and you feel like you cannot say no because if you say no then it's like you're doing the opposite of what you set out to do and it's like well how can I be picky if I need this business you know so I think that that's really good advice to people um you know even if you're really struggling and you know you're just waiting for that first deal to happen or or for that first client to sign on with you, if you get bad vibes deep down in your gut, like for as long as I've been alive, everybody's always said, just trust your gut. People have said that forever. And Mm -hmm. it's true, you know, like, and you, sometimes you think like, oh, well, maybe it'll be okay. But like, if you even have a little tiny inkling that something doesn't feel right, it's probably not. It's probably not. And so I think obviously we're all going to go through situations where we said yes to something we shouldn't have, but that's, that's how you learn, you know, and that's how you make sure that you don't do that the next time. Right. And you have to have those experiences to know that you don't like certain things, right? Right. Like, how do you know that you don't want to be sent to take lunch errands or, you know, go unless someone confronts you with that so there's like no light without the darkness kind Mm -hmm. of a thing Mm -hmm. and I used to really encourage those young girls who would come into the office and be like listen (laughs) you don't have not every office you work in is going to be like this if you're unhappy here take the time that you're putting in get as much as you can out of the situation and Mm -hmm. for another job every day because what that will do to your mental health is like you were saying it it's so like it will throw you so far off your course you know and when you sell your training when you do things that you know you don't want to be doing it's like you turn that inward and you blame yourself when mm-hmm you know, and again, it takes a lot of life experience to know these things. Um, I am grateful for every one of those bad experiences because now I know, and it, I try to learn a lesson from those things and then put it into practice someday. Maybe I'll have my own employees, you know, one of my businesses, my, and I know how I will never treat them because exactly. of how I, and exactly. I think there's also a changing of the guard so to speak like the older generation and the way that they did business 
is different. There weren't as many women in the workforce, say 50 years ago, 40 mm. years that there are now. Um, women are really taking more of leadership roles and doing it for themselves and yeah. having amazingly successful businesses and being like, hey man, you're not putting me in that box. Like I'm gonna right. make the money for myself. And I think that's super empowering. I love I, to see it. Love yes. to see it. I would have loved to grown up like don't get me wrong, I love the 90s, but I would have mm-hmm. like loved to be in this this more tolerant and more accepting um atmosphere that it seems like younger yeah. I mean are. still such a long way to go with so many things but it's just um it's really nice to see more women um being given the chance to show what they're really capable of yeah you know instead of like you said just being boxed into one category and not being allowed to do anything else so go us go yeah. yes and also um, to all the women who do it with like a whole family to take care of. Oh my of. god, I know. I have one dog who had <laughs> yesterday and I did not sleep all night and I'm just like, oh, I got to work tomorrow. I got this to do and I'm just yeah. I have to go to bed early tonight. Daylight savings is thrown yeah. <laughs> to myself all the time. Imagine I had a child to to keep alive. I know. <laughs> I think about that sometimes. Yeah. Like every time I kill a plant, I'm just like, wow. <sighs> I mean, <laughs> thank God it was just a plant, you know? <laughs> thank God. Six plants. I feel like a mass murderer. <laughs> Brown thumb in the house. <laughs> but anyway, so um, that's, I mean, that's one of your, one of your ventures. Um, but you also are a writer um and you've got a book two books now two books you've got two books now that's amazing um so I want you to kind of talk to people about like not only the balance between that and your career um but like so like how do you find a way to um, prioritize both of those things? Um, the short answer is that I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, writing is a tricky thing. You know, I, I can't speak for all writers, but for myself, um, poetry has been my lane since I was a teenager. And it it was never like a moneymaker thing for me. Right. Did um feel like I wanted to get published, but um I didn't plan on being like a famous writer or anything right. like that. you did it because you loved it and that was your main reason. Right. And so I I had this collection. The first collection I did was basically already written. I I had every poem I had ever written since I was 13 years old. And it was sort of, when I looked at it, it was this story of my mental health struggle that Mm -hmm. started very young. Um, And up until this point, this was like 2016, the first time that I published, um, I had never let anybody read these poems. They were so to me and so much like 
bearing my soul. Yeah. Um, I had anonymously started this Instagram page where I would share things and then I put my name on it. And then I, you know, I just, I had the support of the writing community. I saw what other people were putting out there. And I just felt like, you know, I wanted people to know that the struggle they were having, they weren't alone, especially mm-hmm. social media where everything looks so perfect all the time. Yeah. You know, oftentimes people will see it, you know, you, you look good in a picture or, you, you know, you, you your house looks nice or whatever it is that we tell ourselves we need to be happy, but it's all just like a facade, you Mm -hmm. know, that was a scary thing for me, but it was also really exciting to feel like I might touch other people who were going through similar things. And so it's brave. It's very brave. It, the books that I've published, they call them chap books. They're usually with done with poetry and they're under 50 pages basically mm-hmm. so I I was working with a publishing company and it kind of all turned out to be a pyramid scheme type of a thing even though I've met so many amazing writers and mm-hmm. have still to this day have these friends that we went through this experience with but how does how does something like that turn into like I guess anything could be a pyramid scheme if you want it to be bad enough but how did they like scam you into that they they appealed to my ego that is what they did they they came and they they sent me a message and somebody was like I'm the owner of this imprint which is like you know a a smaller type of a publishing company mm-hmm. really what they should have said was they were a vanity press but me being naive and not knowing they appealed to my ego and said we think your writing is amazing we want to publish it we want to create a website we're going to put this whole marketing team behind you oh, yeah who wouldn't but, who wouldn't get excited at that right and then but, but then comes the whole but then you have to pay this little amount of money mm. and you know they've got all this these new writers and their egos together and we're all normal that's the way it's supposed to be and like I'm a very analytical person I googled a million times come to find out it is a a very standard practice with the self-publishing world to have these vanity presses who know how to like do the ins and outs of putting the book together you're paying them for a service to do it not the traditional oh, we're going to give you an advance. Nobody does that for poetry. Yeah. So I convinced myself like, look, if I'm going to do this, self-publish this thing, I'm going to end up having to pay a web designer, an editor, an right. this was all in-house. Would have made sense to me too. Right. So, but then come to find out what they were doing was they were taking writers who had huge platforms on Instagram taking the money that the unknown writers were paying for these services and putting it all to the higher <sighs> so they were selling tons of books and their books looked great and they kept telling us other writers oh don't worry don't worry you're next your turn is coming all the while you're paying a monthly fee wow. right 
one person spoke up, then another person spoke up and then it all came unraveled and they ended up kind of like dangling a carrot in front of all of our faces and they created these chapbooks for us, but took like clip art things for the covers. It was so cheesy. Mm. Like, and then maybe a month after they published them, the whole website for the company shut down. They stopped selling the book. Are you serious? Yeah. So like, you know, I get into it with the guy who was running the thing. I'm like, I'm going to expose you. <laughs> like, going. You're going to wish you never met me. <laughs> like, no, no, I'm <laughs> you don't want none of this. But, um, yeah. So he ended up sending me a bunch of shitty copies that were all misprinted. Um, and so I, I then sold there were some that were salvageable. I sold through those. And then like, you know, me, I'm very sensitive. My little heart was broken. I'm like, I can't believe I fell for it. My, my whole experience is ruined and kind of like put it down for a couple of years and then got back on the horse. And in 2019, late 2019, another vanity publisher came to me they were putting this anthology together they had seen my Instagram page they liked my stuff and was like we would love for you to be in this anthology and I had a great experience working with her I didn't pay anything for that Mm -hmm. Um, when I decided that I had this second collection that I wanted to do I went to the to the woman who runs that company and I made a deal with her so that she I because I was going to school full-time at this point I was working I was like pulling my hair out Uh, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to do this I had all the materials but I just didn't have the time or the capacity to put it together myself right so she was also an artist and we just ended up collabing we made an illustrated poetry collection called Amour Fou which means crazy love Mm. in French it is actually a collection of poems written during my crazy experience with he who shall not be named um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it, it reaffirmed my love for it. Right. Yeah. Like I was like, I'm going to do it different this time. I'm going to maintain all the control over, <laughs> over it, which is unreasonable to do in any mm. situation. But, um, it all was going according to plan. We had, I had a beautiful reading at a bookstore in Queens. I was there, Friends even though I was out. showed up at the end because I literally <laughs> searched all of Queens to buy flowers for you for your book release. And then I ended up being the last one to arrive literally as you were reading your very last poem. And I didn't get flowers because I could never find any. What a failure. Anyway. <laughs> so that for me was super exciting my mom and my niece flew in from Massachusetts you know I have other family in New York that showed up and co-workers of mine it was just a great experience Mm -hmm. Um, I had big plans you know Danielle and I were going to do the Brooklyn Book Festival together we had all these things we were planning to do and then Danielle is a mutual friend FYI yes another entrepreneur we Mm -hmm. like to stick together yeah. We'll get her um, on here one of these days. But yeah, then like three weeks later, COVID hit. So that, that <sighs> that's right. That was like the last norm one of the last normal things that I did was yeah. go to your your book signing. Yeah. Or your it book was reading, But I'm pretty sure I also had you sign my book. I always had yeah. you sign them. 
20 books that night from Massachusetts. He was so cute. It, it was just, you know, like to see my book sit on the shelf of an actual bookstore. Yeah. Granted, they've not back because it doesn't sell, which is fine. It's fine. I had my moment. Yeah. Hey, um, you know, <laughs> gotta stay positive. Yeah. That's a whole other thing too, because there is a big publisher that you can like go through once you have your file created for your book, you can take it to a much bigger publisher. I'm not going to say no names, mm -hmm. but they, they are the way that you get your book into a bookstore because that's how most bookstores order their stock. Um, okay. My experience with them was that they really didn't care too much about an author of my size that like they, we ordered a, a sample before the signing to make mm -hmm. sure that it would come. They sent it to my address in New Jersey, where I hadn't lived for years. That wasn't even in my account. It finally, it sends, it gets to me. It's all mis, misaligned. I'm like, how do I know that they're not going to send these copies to the bookstore? I, oh I, God. there was nothing I about it, but wait till that day to see that they were to just hope and pray that it wasn't the, the shitty book. <laughs> yeah. It just goes to show that no matter what lane of entrepreneurship you're in, you're going to be tearing your hair out. Like there are all yeah. so many details that are involved with running a business of any kind. Mm -hmm. um, and so my next step, like I said, poetry is difficult to sell. What I was looking forward to was like the interaction of going to like these book fairs and talking to people and setting up my display and yeah. you know what I mean? having that community and that experience, um, selling books online, it's just not really my shtick. I, I yeah. just, it's girl, tell me about I, it. I try to sell candles online, something that you have to smell <laughs> to want to buy. I'm and I'm like, trust me guys, they smell good. Trust me. <laughs> just take my word for it. <laughs> it's not really good. Everybody, just so you know, thank I'm burning you, one right you. now. What advice would you give to the people who are trying to figure out like there's so many people who are like well, I don't know what I want to do I haven't figured out what I want to do yet like me included you know and that's why I just do a million different things right and so how like what advice would you give to someone who they're they think that they have a passion for this thing and then they try to do it and they get a setback and it it you know they're like well maybe this isn't cut up maybe I'm not cut out for this maybe I shouldn't do this like what advice do you have for people to kind of like find their niche and keep going with it I think the number one thing that I try to tell myself as well because I also am one of these people who has many passions um is that you have to try you have to go into something with the mindset that it's going to be successful because mm -hmm. if it doesn't work out the way that you want it to, you're going to learn something along the way, whether it's that you're not as passionate about that thing as you thought you were, whether it's, you know, this is what it takes to run a business. And am I really down for that? Do I have that in me? Do I want to just do this thing as a hobby instead? Because that's a thing I'm finding with certain pots that I have my hand in that when I put a monetary value on them and I don't reach that monetary value, 
then it devalues the creative work that I'm doing mm-hmm. in my own mind, right? And that that's the worst thing that I think you can do with inspiration is say, oh, well, you're not going to make me any money, so I'm not going to pursue it. Right. There are things that come along in life, you know, as you meet new people, you go to new places, like things that you might have never considered trying or wanting to do, especially, you know, the way our education system is set up in this country. It's like, you're supposed to know when you're 18 years old, what you want. Oh my God. I know. Right. Like when I actually see an 18 year old kid that like has a set idea of what they want to do, I'm like, I am jealous of you because I still don't know. I think those kids change over time because now in my forties, I don't want to do the same thing I wanted to do when I was 18. And what I think I want to do now is based on my set of experiences that I've had. Mm -hmm. I think my number one piece of advice for people searching and trying to figure it out is to like, be easy with yourself. You know, even what is quote unquote failure, it's not because it's teaching you something and finding what that is, I think for me is the key to making progress, persistence. Mm -hmm. I have a tattoo on my hand. Um, It's if you give up every time you have a setback, then you're just always going to operate from this place of I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's especially true for younger people, younger women. Um, Yeah. wish that they had taught me how to listen to my intuition because you know you were saying earlier about trust your gut it becomes such a cliche when you hear it over and over right but women especially are so able to get in tune with their intuition Mm -hmm. and the world wants to block that out and so however you find your way to connect for me I meditate I burn candles and do moon things you know moon stuff moon stuff that's that's (laughs) for me you know find that thing that connects you to your intuition and your passion because it can get clouded in life you know Mm -hmm. comes from all these different directions and covid and you know whatever it is it's it's really about stripping away all these things that we think will make us successful. Oh, is it going to make me a certain amount of money? Is it going to mm-hmm. give me this? You know, I think getting to the raw thing of what makes you tick, what, what is it? What is it that you like to do? And it you could know? just be, I feel like it doesn't have to be something specific. It could be a general like feeling that you get when you do certain things and it's like what it what are those things that give you that good feeling and that doesn't mean that you have to take that specific thing and turn it into a career but it's like how can I make this feeling that I have that feels good and fulfilling how can I turn that into something and I feel like it you know it's like going from there and just like like snowballing from there and seeing what it turns into and not necessarily having to be like, oh, well, I like doing makeup. So I guess I should probably be a makeup artist, you know, like it's, it doesn't always have to be that. 
because I feel like with me in particular, a lot of the things that I have found that I really enjoyed doing when it came time to try to like make money off of it, I immediately didn't want to do it anymore. I stopped enjoying it and it, it started stressing me out. And I think that a lot of people feel that way about stuff. And that's how, you know, like, this is supposed to be your hobby. This isn't supposed to be your moneymaker. And it's okay to have hobbies that don't make you money. And the flip side is also true, right? Like, it's okay to to do things that maybe you're not that passionate about. Yes, exactly. So glad you said that. My bookkeeping career, I was so close even all the way through my degree I was like the point of getting this degree is so that I can stop doing bookkeeping because Mm -hmm. I no attachment to it I don't like it it was just something that I fell into Mm -hmm. while also being like how can you throw away 20 years of experience and start all over again right so that was a thing that I had to come to and say you don't necessarily have to be like a thousand percent passionate about the job that you're doing that makes you the money that allows right. you the life that gives you the time to do the creative things that you're passionate about yeah. as long as it doesn't make you miserable and unhappy and right. like harm stress. You. yeah exactly <laughs> exactly Not i feel like good. if you're good at it if you're good at something and you don't despise it you know then by all means right. do that thing you know, like, I feel like that's majority of people anyway, is, you know, it's like, okay, I have this job, maybe it's not like my, my passion, maybe I'm, I don't love it with all of my heart and soul. But it, I'm good at it. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't hate it. Um, I like the people that I work with, you know, I like the organization, I like the work itself. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, like some people never figure out what their passion is and, and some people figure out what their passion is and choose to keep that as a hobby. Because like I said, sometimes you try to turn your passion into a moneymaker and it ruins it. And that's, that's what I found to be the case. What's that? Right. It takes a piece of you when that happens too, because that thing that you used to like to, and to do that gave you like joy in this life yeah you've now you know you've put this like dark cloud over it right it's like did I ruin that for myself you know yeah which is sad to do to something that you love right and it's sad to do it to yourself because like if we are only working all the time to make money like where's the fulfillment in life Mm -hmm. you know that's a little bit of like, I have an issue with capitalism and the way that our society runs is like, you're supposed to have it all figured out and be super passionate passionate about the thing that's going to earn you the most money. And that's what's most important. The car you drive, the house you live in, like we don't celebrate poets and artists and, you know, in our society, the way that maybe back in other times pre-capitalism they did it's just how can you make the most money how can you get a can you climb that that ladder the fastest and I I often feel like we're just like those little um mice on the wheel Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. 
we don't even get to think freely about what we want because our time is so maxed out making money, paying bills. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I would go as far as to say that that is probably most people's number one priority in life yeah. is money and not in like a, a selfish or materialistic way, but literally to survive. Yep. And because it's the only way to survive yep. is with money. And there are certain industries that you can make better money than others, obviously. Yep. Um, but going back to the like mindset that you talked about, have you read the book called Mindset by Carol Dweck? I have not. Um, I'm only like halfway through it. It's so good because basically it just talks about like having a fixed mindset and a, um, oh my God, what's the opposite of fixed? What is the other one? Um, like free? Something like that. Yeah. Basically it's having a fixed mindset or having a mindset where like there are possibilities, things are possible. Mm -hmm. And um, it talks about how, um, like it talks about different companies, different famous companies, like um, well-known and the CEOs and the mindset of the CEOs and how that mindset translated into the success of the, of the, the company, like short-term or long-term. And mm -hmm. I think it's so important for people to read because so many people really do think that things in life are fixed. Like, oh no, I'm not good at that. So I can't do it. You know? Right. And it's like, but if you believe that you can learn it, like if you believe that you like that, everything is learned, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah, I'm sure there's some genetic shit that, that we are born with that we like have a natural, like, you know, like your parents are like amazing at math. Maybe you're amazing at math. I did not get so lucky. <laughs> um, but I feel like there are so many things that people just automatically assume they can't do because they haven't done it before or because like they tried something similar once upon a time and they didn't have success with it. Like it all depends on literally your state of mind. And that yeah. also goes into the law of attraction, which I'm obsessed with and talk about all the time. But like, if you truly believe that you can do something, you can, yeah. you know, like I, I remember this one night I went to this like salsa bar and I guess they would do lessons. And then afterwards, everybody would just stay and dance. And I was just there for like some drinks, but I was watching people dance and it was so amazing to watch them. Like they were just like amazing. And my first instinct was to think like, wow, I could never do that. But then like so quick, I just switched it up. Like I can learn how to do that. Yeah. Like, if I want to learn how to do that, I can you just have to take a shitload of classes and you will learn how to do it. But it's like, nothing's impossible. It. Huh? Weren't you doing, you were taking some dance classes for a while, weren't you? Yeah. But they were like hip hop dance classes mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But it's, it's just like if you have a passion for something and you feel like it could potentially do something for you in your future, 
even if it's just like emotionally or like something internal for you that like an accomplishment try it try to do it you know like the worst that could happen is that the first time you do it you're not great at it but it's like you persistence if it's something that you really I just feel like that the mindset of I can't wait till I learn how to do that is so much more beneficial than I can't do that right like it's not I can't do that it's I can't wait till I learn because then once you learn then you're that person that people are looking at like oh I wish I could do that you know and it's like I just especially since moving to New York that's never felt more true for me is literally if you want to do something if something if something excites you or it evokes some type of emotion within you fucking try it yeah just try it I took an acting class when I first moved to New York it was that was so out of character for me to do like I was so embarrassed going there (laughs) and but everybody else was doing the same stuff but I was embarrassed right because it was so unlike me to do something like that it was so out of character for me to do it but who gives a fuck right you know like you don't even have to tell other people if you're trying these things like if you're afraid of what people are going to say which first of all that sucks if you've got friends that you can't tell that you're doing these things because you're afraid they're going to like make fun of you or something yeah another subject for another day um they're your haters not your friends (laughs) exactly (laughs) um but yeah I think that uh if you feel like I mean granted money comes into play for a lot of these things like having to take classes and stuff but now that everything's like on zoom it's a whole new world of opportunities that you can do in your living room like they're doing cooking classes on zoom now. Um, like, I mean, dance classes, fitness classes, obviously, but you can do anything from your house yeah. right now. And I feel like what better time to take advantage of it than when it's so popular right now right. Right. and you don't have to leave your house. You don't have to like put yourself out there and be uncomfortable you know, like it's, I just think it's so important to try things to find out what it is that, that you're passionate about, whether it's for work or for pleasure. For sure. How can you know otherwise? Right. You'll just always operate from that fear mindset. Oh, I can't do that. I don't have any. Exactly. I've never seen anybody do that or. Right. Like you said, moving to New York was a whole new experience for me because I, I felt when I was in Massachusetts, surrounded by friends and family, everybody had an opinion, especially when you buck the trend of like high school sweetheart and living in the same town you grew up in. And, you know, like I just was never that person. And Mm -hmm. so when I got to New York, it was strange that nobody paid attention to me. Yeah. What I wore. No one gives a shit. They didn't even notice (laughs) walking down. Don't even look twice at you freeing thing yeah you know I know for some people that's not that that they wouldn't feel it's not for everyone for sure I was like wow I can be this version of myself that I've been so afraid to be my whole life it opened me up 
to not give a fuck about mm-hmm. anybody or their opinions anymore. Yeah. yeah. With and that being still, you know, I'm shy and get nervous. I mean, it doesn't just go away the first time you take the class. You really do to being like, I'm gonna get outside my comfort zone and yes. try. Yeah. The comfort zone is safe. It's so safe. But I think the most empowering thing you can do is to push yourself to get out of it, even with something small, like just something that you never thought that you would do something that you always like thought about in the back of your mind, but you're like, Oh, I can't ever tell anybody that I'm interested (laughs) in that because they would make fun of me or like, I would encourage everybody to find that one thing and take the time right now where you don't even have to put yourself out there by going out places like you can i encourage you to find a class of some sort something that's outside of the box something that you've never done before but that you've always thought about it's always been in like the very back of your mind and sign up for it and take one class just do it whatever it may be it could be like the weirdest shit ever who cares right do it Find your tribe too, because when we sit quiet and we don't express what's really like going on in our heads, because we're like, whoa, someone's going to think I'm weird. We isolate ourselves. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm the only one. You're definitely not. (laughs) It's like, if I've learned anything, it's that there is a group for everything. Like look at Facebook. Like you could... I don't know if these groups just became like more popular over the last few years, but like, if you're interested in something, you type that word in and there's a group for it. And everybody in that group is interested in that thing and they'll talk about it with you. And it's just, I mean, there's also a lot of like really mean assholes in those groups that just like want to ruin someone's day for no reason. But there's also so much that you can get out of them too. Um, I'm also a big proponent of YouTube university, like, Mm, yes, right. To a certain extent, we don't think you should be getting like all your information from there. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you should be telling doctors how to do their jobs because you watched a YouTube video. Right. That being said, continue. There are definitely lots of things. Uh huh not so consequential that you can learn, you know, that people put out there for free. So don't also Mm -hmm. don't finances limit you like yes not what you imagine in your head everything has to start somewhere mm-hmm. and it may just take that free little video that you watch to be like you know what I really don't care to learn anymore or yes I am super passionate about it and I mm-hmm. to spend money or whatever time to invest to find out more yeah but yeah trying that's it and, that's and I it. Find- that's the hardest thing sometimes for, for everybody mm-hmm. to try something outside of their comfort zone. Yeah. Cause of the fear of failure, the fear of failure and the feel the fear of rejection. Yes. I think. And I think that that fear of rejection comes from feeling stupid. Right. You know, but we are, we have gone over our time. Oh, I'm so shocked. <laughs> we had a great talk. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Well, I want you first to plug all of your social media, your books, 
where we can find them, your website, like take a, take the rest of this show and just plug away. No rush. It's fine. All but right. Tell everybody where they can find you and where they can find um, your books and stuff. So the best place to find my books is on my website and it's stacysidelwriter.com. And I will put that in the show notes so that you guys don't have to try to guess how to spell her last name. Right. I almost went into my immediate thing with like, anytime I'm on the phone with somebody, I'm like, S-E-I-D-L, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I thought it was Seedle for the longest time. Most people do. Mm-hmm. I think I put their own little twist many, many moons ago on how they were going to pronounce it. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's the best place to buy my book because you'll buy it directly through me. But you can also find them on Amazon um, okay. under find my name. Um, well, I'll give you that link too. And then um, I have a lot of so- social media. So Give it to us. My writing page, Instagram.com, Stacy Seidel Writer, Facebook.com, Stacy Seidel Writer. Um, I also do daily vlogs now. Um, mm-hmm. Up on a year, I started doing them for COVID. So you can find those on Instagram. Um, that page is happy, peaceful, smiling, because those are the vibes I'm trying to put out. Mm-hmm. And then my business page is Smart Vert Solutions because someone stole the name before I was able to get it. So it's Instagram Vert Solutions. And we will tag all of those in the show notes. Yes. And I'm very happy to share uh, any, you know, information that is on my pages. I'm happy to talk to you about it. And I also offer a little free information here and there for people, mostly about like digital marketing and bookkeeping. So if anybody has questions, it's tax time, you know. Yeah, definitely check out Stacy's all of her pages. Um, She's so helpful when it comes to all things bookkeeping for small businesses. And, you know, I think you're an amazing person for people to consider hiring for that type of thing because who better to have help you with your small business bookkeeping than a small business owner herself and you know so um you're kind of both learning from one another as you work together which is cool um and yeah I think that you are just such an amazing like multifaceted person and I'm so glad that we got to talk to you today um, about everything. And just real quick before we go, because we had an episode on this a couple of weeks ago about when you meet someone and they Mm -hmm. say, what do you do for a living? What do you say? I tell them I'm a small business owner Um, because to be like, I'm a writer, I'm a this, I'm a that, Mm -hmm. it just goes, you know, down the rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. If they then ask follow-up questions of course you know I always lead off with that I'm a bookkeeper because that is my main business I'm trying to get into the habit of saying virtual business manager Mm. um, because bookkeeping limits me um right yeah um okay okay I think that's what I'm going to start asking people from now on as a final question because 
that's something that I've struggled with since I've started doing like multiple things. And mm-hmm. people ask me what I do. I'm like, um, I don't know, a bunch of stuff. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's very, it's like a, a really stressful question that never used to be stressful. But yeah, now I'm like, eh, I don't know. What do I do? I don't even know. Put you in that box where you're just this one thing and you're yeah. not multifaceted. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Stacy, for you. being here and chatting for this over an hour with us about everything. Um, guys, definitely check her out on social media. Shoot her a DM if there's anything that, you know, kind of spoke to you about this episode that you want to dig a little deeper on or get some more information on. But we will see you next week. All right. Bye, guys.